Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Ribbon of... I think. Oh, so close. I think you're doing so well. <laughs> My notes 60... say 66, so you know. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, 67 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other dreamers as masterpieces. I am Nick, the wide-eyed innocent uh, in this podcast, and I am joined as ever by Roger, the sinister, creaky, wooden, probably uh, fantastical creature. Well, that's better than my other options in this film. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I, I thought I'd let you be the fawn. Um, we are, um, if you haven't figured out already, um, discussing Guillermo del Toro's 2007 film? Oh, that gets interesting. I think it was released in 06. This is why I'm confused. But we are, this is our second 06 film, isn't it? Hmm. Yes, and and, and there is actually a connection. uh, There is a connection. Um, Okay, good. Let's see if we can do it. I'm going to say Labyrinth just this once because I'm going to default to Labyrinth for the rest of the (laughs) the podcast. Pan's Labyrinth. Um, A fairy tale for adults, set during the Spanish Civil War. Well, no, uh, in the aftermath of the Spanish well, the, the Civil War the during the Second off. World War. Yeah, yes. I mean, yes, te- technically the Spanish Civil War itself ended, I think, in 39. I think so, but it's really... Um, that but, you know, there, there was the continued War. fighting, particularly of the Spanish Maquisar, which are basically what we're seeing here. And, well, of course, Franco else... himself would stay in power until 1975. Well, exactly, yeah, I, almost into my lifetime. Um uh, if nothing else, this uh, podcast made me, uh, this film has made me realise I don't know enough about the Spanish Civil War. So I am reading into that. And um, so. Uh, Even by the else, standards of wars, it's you know, not one of the fun ones. Mm. <laughs> uh, yes, it's, uh, well, I, I've only got as far as the, the setup for it. That's just... I, if I say that within the last five years they have found new undocumented mass graves from that era. Yeah, I, I've 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 read about the um, mass executions, uh, particularly more on one side than the other, but sadly on both sides. But um, I got depressed because I was reading about the political situation leading into it, which had too many echoes for our present era to, mm-hmm. for comfort. You make people but, scared; they want a strong man. Yes. Anyway, let's not worry about that. Let's escape into the world of fairy tales, um, because that's. Uh, what Pan's Labyrinth is about. Um, Ophelia is a young bookish girl. She's like, um, I think she's 12. Yes. Um, that's a thing that changed, in fact. Uh, the, mm. the original plan was for her to be about eight. Um, yes. But they, they screen tested, you know, a thousand actresses or something like that. And she was about 10 to 11 when they screen tested her and they said, okay, we just, we like you. We're going to rewrite it. So she is. And this is, uh, Ivano. Ivana Baquero. Yeah, who, who has gone on to an acting career. Uh, quite rightly so on the, on the evidence of, uh, yeah, this was she, her she'd first, done, um, she'd done uh, a few things in Spain before okay. this. 
But, uh, yeah, first, so, first really major role. Well, Guillermo del Toro is Mexican, I believe, mm. um, but he seems to alternate, or at that stage in his career, I haven't kept up, he seems to alternate between uh, Spanish-language films uh, and uh, sort of uh, Hollywood blockbusters. Um, yeah, th- so this, I think, is his actual last uh, Spanish-language film. Which is a shame, isn't it? Um, yeah. uh, uh, Cause I'm, uh, well, I, I, uh, I don't know whether to spoil it or not, but I, I certainly, I, I would say this is the film of his I've enjoyed the most. Uh, yeah. Unless I'm forgetting one, but I, well, it's certainly better than Blade 2. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting because I think this is, for me, peak interesting Del Toro. Um, mm. I, people say good things about Blade Two. I, I haven't seen it. I'm not. It's, it's, actually, I, I was a bit down on it. It's it's not terrible, uh, but um, this is way better. But yeah, it's a fairly early one. Um, Hellboy was not Hellboy. bad. I mean, it, it wasn't great, but it was not bad. I think we both felt the same. Yeah, I, it, it was okay. I didn't understand why everyone loved it so much, and then I read the comics and still didn't quite understand why it was so I, beloved. I have not but seen, like but I've heard very good things about The Devil's Backbone, which is a sort of spiritual prequel to this. And that's his other, one of his other, I think he's done another couple of, or, uh, but that was one of his other Spanish yeah. uh, language films. Uh, but then after this, he does Hellboy 2, which, I mean, I don't think people hated it, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, Pacific Rim, which is kind of derivative. I haven't seen it. It, it. it was a bit too close to sort of anime to me, but I haven't. And I, I, it, anime just sort of turns me off. Unfortunately, I know I'm missing a lot of things, but no, I haven't seen it. Crimson Peak, which, yeah, it, it's gothic romance. Um, yeah. And but, famously hasn't done The Hobbit, um, though I wish he had. Um, on the evidence of this and the actual Hobbit mm. that we actually got, um, I wish he well, had. Well, I, I was just going to the, the other one of his, The, the Shape of Water, um, otherwise uh, known as the fish-fucking film. Yes. <laughs> um, Which is not fair to it, but it didn't, it, it didn't interest me particularly enough to go and see it. The other one he not, didn't get to make... Well, uh, famously, from yeah. uh, as Lovecraft fans, is in the Mountains of Madness. At the Mountains of Madness, yeah. And certainly, on the basis of this, I would have liked what he, what he, to see what he'd do with a completely different mythology. I can see why, on the basis, I mean, this feels much more um, Dunsanian than um, Lovecraftian. But yeah. it would be interesting to see how he did with um, a Lovecraftian film. Uh, but I guess we've we've digressed a bit. Um, uh, Ophelia. Again, spoilers abound, as ever, in our podcast. Absolutely. Um, but Ophelia and her pregnant mother are going to stay with their stepdad in a, a fort, uh, a military outpost in the mountains, whilst he tracks down the few remaining uh, rebels um, to Franco's regime. Um, and Ophelia discovers that she is the long-lost princess from the underground realm and that she must complete three tasks. Um, and from then on we have the interweaving narrative, really, mm. of uh, the uh, sadistic captain um, tracking down the rebels and um, Ophelia's exploration into the into the, the fantasy world. To be fair, most of the rebels he tracks down are in his own household. Yes, that's true. He, he doesn't win over a lot of friends and influence people. The, so the character of the captain, so I have forgotten the captain's name because he's mostly referred to as the captain. Yes, uh, I, I'm actually don't think it helps a lot. I mean, he is Captain Vidal in, in the that's film. That's right, but, yes. Yeah. 
Uh, Sergei Lopez. On yeah, who, who was known at the time as basically a very broad sort of act, you know, comedic and melodramatic. Right, And okay. apparently people came along to, to uh, Del Toro and said, no, no, you can't cast this guy, he, he just he doesn't have the range for it. Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because uh, uh, me not knowing him at all, it just <laughs> he's just a villain in this. Well, the, the, the thing I get is that... You know, the the captain likes to think of himself as a big, grand, melodramatic guy. Yes. But he can't quite get there because he isn't. <laughs> he, he's ultimately uh, a thug. Yeah. And I, much as much as I feel he is um, a very uh, a broadly drawn evil thug, you know, he's a sadist with basically no distinguishing features... Uh, unfortunately, the history at that time and was full of people like that. So it, it in well, that, that sort of situation lets people who want to be bullies, who want to be sadists, indulge themselves with official sanction. Exactly. So, although it's he's not a particularly two-dimensional character, he's unfortunately quite believable in that situation. The other thing I think is uh, the dinner party scene where. I mean, whether you want to read it as him just boasting or him trying to justify it to himself, he does seem to have a a system that at least lets him sleep at night. You know, this is what I'm. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. It's it's for yes. good reasons. Which yes. let's face it, everybody who isn't actually mad likes to think <laughs> of themselves as a good guy. So yeah, nobody actually genuinely thinks I have a dark, evil soul. Uh, yeah, so he is. Um... I mean, he clearly enjoys. I, I mean, he's a sadist as well as as everything else. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he's a good um, foil for the film. Really, he's certainly a. I, I suppose he's like a villain out of a fairy tale, and and there are some. There are some elements of the the kind of real story which feel a bit fairy tale-y. Mm. Um Him being one of them, um, and her mother. Uh, being sort of gradually weakened um, by him, feel I suppose it's often an evil stepmother in fairy tales, but it's it's, it's that kind of setup really that we have the the the, the poor mother. Um, well, there's a, there's a thing that is never mentioned except very obliquely hinted at, which is why is she there? I mean, her husband was has died for reasons I don't think were ever specified. No, he's a tailor, isn't he? Um, yeah, and they met now. Yeah. And did he, in fact, give her a choice in this in this matter? I don't think so. You know, maybe there was there was just she was there. She was going to need a protector, and he was the least bad option. Maybe it wasn't even that much choice. I feel like the, it was that sort of thing. Rather, you come here or I'll kill you. I, I feel like she's, uh, yeah, she's like, okay, well, or you come here or I'll leave you to these looters and rapists who are destroying the town that I've just smashed. Yeah, I got the impression that she's made a judgment call that, well, he's going to be the one in power now, like it or lump it, um, and I've got to deal with that, and it's the best way to protect me and my daughter. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, as you say, it's never sort of explicitly mentioned, um, but it, yeah, it, it, it is a little hard to fathom why she's with him, other than those are the people whose power was on the rise at that time. And he wants, you know, after the initial thing, he wants a son. Exactly. It, yes. It's very yeah. clear that he wants the son much more than he wants the wife. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, he sort of explicitly states that when he's like, save, save mm-hmm. the child. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, we, we've sort of dwelled on, uh, on, on the captain, on Vidal a bit, uh, and the mother, um, and 
I, I, this very much is a sort of film of it's not really two halves because actually, slightly to my surprise, the the real narrative was much stronger and mm. had a lot more screen time. The fantastical elements were just sort of small uh, snippets, really, in, in the middle of it all until they come together at the end, which we probably want to talk about. Um, later as to how well they do that. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to that, I think. Um, just looking at the characters, uh, I would like to mention Mercedes, uh, who is the captain's housekeeper. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Played by the excellent Maribel Vertu. Uh, yes. And, all right, she was kind of obviously a spy from about the third time we saw her when she's in, in the room <laughs> with the, uh, the headquarters with the map. But... Yes, yeah. But there's no real attempt made to conceal that. No, and he, I, I don't know, he figures it out and th- feels very clever about it when he's, he's really following very simple clues here. I, d- I don't know whether the film was sort of gently mocking him or it was just doing a very simple plot for, for our benefit, but it felt like it felt like he really should have figured it out sooner than he did. And mm. I, I, yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic in it, absolutely. Um, but she, she, she... You know, Ophelia doesn't really know what she's got into other other than Vidal is a bad guy. Yes. Uh, Mercedes knows exactly the situation she's in and the peril she's in and what she can do about it, what she can do to try to help the cause and indeed to yes. help her brother. Um, but she still, I mean, even... I thought it was a slightly... So we, we have this uh, incredible scene where she's about to be tortured and she... Um, escapes um, a, a, giving him a Joker-style uh, uh, slash along the way. Uh, I didn't quite find him why she didn't kill him, other than um, she just doesn't want... She's just not that kind of person. She's just... Even mm. him, she's not going to do that, even though it ends up putting her in significant danger. Yes. I mean, that's... I, so I found myself more dragged along by that story... Um, because it dominates the screen time, really. And, and Ophelia, mm. as you say, I hadn't really thought about it before, but Ophelia is largely oblivious to the, the details of that story, other than, um, yeah, this is a bad situation we're in, and these, this is a bad man, and this person can help me. Um, yeah, so how did you feel, if, if we sort of stick with the Spanish Civil War aspect... Um, how did you feel that story worked? Did that grip you? Reasonably well, I think. I mean, I, there was one moment at which I said, at last, which was when somebody finally realises we're in a forest, we can snipe from cover. <laughs> <laughs> we can do ambushes. Yes, yeah, they, you know? <laughs> they did seem to be doing quite open warfare. Um, um, but, but yeah, I, I did think that was reasonable. I mean, why is it all in this relatively small space? Well, that's not quite clear, but some of that is the, the constraints of the filming. So the thing I've been complaining a bit recently, basically since colour grading became affordable and then universal, uh, that that it's done heavy-handed, I I think here it worked really very well. I wanted to say that because, yeah, basically we have the blue-grey kind of fortress Mm. and then the kind of the greens and uh, the light and the warmth of the rebels. And I think where it worked really well is when they attack the... So there are fires all over the backdrop. And so even though they're basically this an act of violence, the the effect Mm. to the viewer is that they brought warmth to this place. Uh, I mean, literally they have, but it it sort of gets across that 
it's the end of this kind of reign of grey and misery and good things are coming. I, I thought that worked really well, absolutely. That's, visually, I mean, this is... A, um, we haven't even talked about the fantastical elements, but this is a, a pretty good film. I mean, mm. uh, that and that, as you say, far more than traffic. This just... It didn't feel heavy-handed, but you well, knew traffic is basically saying you are in story A or story B or story C, mm. and that's all, all it really does. And th- this is more this particular place is a gr- is a blue-gray place. Yes, and that tells you the sort of place that it is. And then this place is a uh, a yellow, uh, a yellow or, or red a place. lush, multicolored, fantastical place. Or exactly, yeah, and the, and the colours really come across in the, in the fantasy scenes. Um, I I really like the Spanish, partially because, well, I think for both of us, this is an area of history we're naturally interested in anyway, mm. um, and it's a part of the twentieth century that um, I, I I just always thought the Spanish Civil War is kind of oh it's the, the prequel to the Second World War, and, and I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, but I'm certainly interested in reading about it now and, and finding out more about it. Um, mm. I mean, it is. There's a lot of kind of visual similarities to the Second World War, and certainly the the uh, the Spanish um, are they the fascista? I don't know what they're quite called in it. Yeah, but the, uh, they are. They're basically so similar to to Nazis that they make very good bad guys as well. Um, uh, it, yeah, yeah it, I, it's it's nominally the Republicans and the Nationalists. Uh, the Republicans are the left leaning socialist, communist, anarchist. Republican types, the the nationalists yes. are the monarchists, conservatives, and fascists, and fascists uh, who are who won. Um, yes, uh, I so I I did I, I found it an interesting. If um, I don't know if it was terribly original, just taken on its own that story. Um, I, but I really enjoyed it. I thought the characters were really well drawn, really well acted. I, I mean, I'm assuming you watched it with subtitles. Mm. Like I, I, I don't know then. if there was a Dodd version released. Um, okay, I, I certainly didn't. I, mean, I watched mine on Amazon Prime. I think it just came with it. I, I probably could have reconfigured it to include. Well, it. I mean, I've, I've read a bit that suggests it was actually released as subtitled. Okay. Um, well, they, they probably did watch it sometime. I, I, I really enjoy it, and I thought the acting was uh, was fantastic. As you say, Mercedes, Vidal, Ophelia herself. Um, hmm. uh, I, I, I admit, I, I do tend to prefer subtitles when I have the option, because I feel the director, or at least the casting director, chose these particular actors with these particular voices, and I want to hear it the way they wanted to hear it, in, in the... The actual vocalisation, even if I don't understand the words, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's me. and unless the director's been very diligent, <laughs> then you're unlikely to hear quite the same level of uh, skill, or, or, or you're unlikely to hear the director's vision in quite the same way. I think it it could be worse. Point. I have German friends who tell me that uh, there are only about four male dubbers working in, in on you know mainstream films in Germany, oh, so God, you always come me. back to the same few voices. That's not a, yeah, well, playing a lot of video games, there's not that many people who do video game voices and you come across them <laughs> quite often, quite a lot. Um, I think that's changing now, but, um, yeah, so I, I really like the Spanish Civil War element. Um, I, uh, I just didn't think it was a tremendously, I mean, we have a, a kind of, Almost pantomime villain. I'm not saying he's unrealistic, but it, there wasn't uh, it, there wasn't anything redeeming about it. I um, 
some of the visual I don't know if it was a CGI effect, but that moment when he drinks the um when he drinks his whiskey and then this kind of bloody blood and alcohol seeps through his scar onto his bandage was oh that was a wince inducing moment. Mm. I'm assuming that was CGI or something, but it was because we're we're now in the era of pretty good CGI. There certainly was CGI being used in this. Um, well, we have the the fairy as well, which I uh, which is not to say that uh, Doug Jones wasn't you know five hours a day in makeup. <laughs> no, it was it was one of the. But, best, but for uh, example, one... for for his legs, they would they would map them out and put in the other legs. There, there was at least one scene where they didn't do this to the shadow of his legs. <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't notice that. Well, so let's talk about the the fantastic elements mm. the pans labyrinth um because we've almost been avoiding it because it's one of the well i just wanted to sort of not get sidetracked by that into the into the main sure. film but i was surprised um how how little screen time it took up we have a a, a handful of scenes really until the end of the film mm. um this this is one of my problems with it uh, i i thought they were gorgeous but I, they, they were so short that i never really found myself lost in them because it was always quite quickly back to reality yes Absolutely. Uh, that, I think that was so. I love the the fairy and the uh, you know the opening of it. That uh, the statue that she finds with the the fairy that comes out. Um, and I love uh, so fairly shortly after that she meets the fawn uh, in the labyrinth. Hmm, this is um, probably where we should talk about the title. Yes. So the film is Pan's Labyrinth, as in the great god Pan, presumably who is not even alluded to we're not even necessarily in that mythology uh, yeah so in spanish it's uh, labyrinto del fauno um, yeah the, yeah, the, the labyrinth of the, the fawn. fawn yeah i uh, i don't know maybe maybe fawn in english means yeah has, has associations for i don't know maybe they're thinking mr tumnus or something i don't know but uh, I, well, I did wonder that, because that's the only other sort of mythological fawn I'm aware of, but I, 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 I think we could cope with it. I mean, he's, Pan is not mentioned, he's always the fawn, and I, he's not supposed to be a deity. Or it's Yeah, a I, I did find some contemporary reviews that were, that were complaining because this guy was clearly not anything like as powerful as Pan ought to be. Yeah, and so what's the origin of that title, do you know? I don't know, I haven't been able to find out. Um... I mean, it's a catchy title. It's a good title, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, but not very well descriptive because uh, I think the Labyrinth of the Fawn, oh, I don't know, that doesn't sound as good. It sounds very good in Spanish, but uh, it doesn't quite <laughs> catch you in the same way. Yeah. But the Fawn's Labyrinth, yeah, that would have worked, I guess. But, um, yeah, the, this this guy, Doug Jones, um mm. He is a servitor. I mean, he's got his role to play, and he ha he has some flexibility in how he plays it. But he's basically working for somebody else. Yes, uh, but I like that he does play it quite ambiguous. As to you're never quite sure. Is her... what I liked about the fairy tale element was, and the fawn really played into that. Uh, is you're not quite sure that the fairy tale she's escaping to is dramatically better than the reality she's escaping i mean it doesn't seem yeah or even that he's telling the truth exactly you don't know if he's lying um the situation she finds herself in are terrifying um for the most part um and i really like that ambiguity that uh and again we could talk about the other ambiguity of the film as to is she making all this up or not um is, is this just yeah mind? um I, I mean, I don't, uh, well, we could talk on that later, but I, I like the ambiguity of the, 
the this is not a uh, a fairy tale world that she's escaping to for fun. This is a dark and dangerous world. Well, it's more like a real fairy tale world, not a Victorian one. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, and it's full of uh, monsters um, and terror. Uh, so the fawn itself, uh, I, d- I did, I did find actually thinking of the fawn and his kind of creaking as he moves around reminded me of the quite heavy-handed sort of sound cues here because whenever a Vidal is in the room there's the creaking of leather against mm. leather um, and I did find that a bit heavy after a while because it, it, mm. when he's when he's um, not in any way moving basically you hear the, the leather kind of squeaking against itself mm. it works better in the fawn because he's made of wood or something <laughs> it, it did work for me I, I think maybe because they were plausible sounds even if there was a lot more of them than one might get I mean the, the, all, all the flutters yes. and creaks and yeah this is an old house and it makes noise I, I really yes. liked uh, yeah yeah okay that's that's fair I mean it added to the fairy I didn't mind it in the fairy tale side um, or even in the how I just thought it was a bit heavy handed for. Mm. but again that uh, that lent some element of, of crossover to it in that he was a sort of fairy tale villain anyway um, but yes the fawn uh, Doug Jones is kind of the um, uh, oh I've forgotten the guy who played Gollum the Andy Serkis uh, mm. <laughs> of these kind of films he's the guy who gets put in the tight suits and does the the funny walks and the um, and he's very good at it I mean I, I, he's, I, it's hard to tell him under the makeup and the, but the, the, the creatures that he plays feel real and mm. threatening and uh, dangerous um, and uh, I don't know about realistic, but certainly distinctive. Uh, it's hard to call the fawn realistic or the, the, <laughs> well, the beast plausible. in the feast room. Plausible, yeah. Um, believable in the best kind of way of um, Lovecraftian entities are. Um, so, yeah, I I thought he was very good in that. Yeah, he, he did, in fact, um, not just learn his lines fanatically, but try to learn enough Spanish to be able to say his lines convincingly. He, d- he did end up being dubbed, but... Uh... Uh, yeah, he, I did he, he did try. Uh, uh, in in fact, it, it was a few years after this he, he had enough power that he got to say, "Right, if if I'm actually saying my lines on screen, you don't get to overdub me if I'm saying them in English." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, he, 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 yeah, he put a lot into the performance always. So. Yeah. Well, he's I, again on this evidence, and again, he, I think he's in. I think he's the Abe Sapien, the fish guy. Yeah. Uh, is he in The Shape of Water as well? Is he the thing in The Shape of Water? Uh, he is in it. Um, yeah, he, he is there as well. He is. The, the, okay, so... Uh, well, he, uh, again, he, he's, he's, he's very... got a long list of credits, um, not with El Toro as well, but, but uh, yeah. Probably in, in things... That he, I, I, I wouldn't recognise the guy if I saw him without his makeup <laughs> on, so I wouldn't know. Um Yes, and so then we move on to the, I think the first sort of ex-labyrinth uh, fantastic scene, which is under the tree. Um, and as you say, it's it's a really short scene, um, or shorter in a way than I wanted it to be. It has, a, I mean, it's, it's very dark and threatening and very muddy. Um, and then we have this horrible toad thing, Um I, I, presumably that was all CG, but it was again. It was very well done. It was very bright. It's visually stunning. And this is the the thing where she it vom- basically vomits itself out. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're all. I I feel like Pan's Labyrinth will stay with me visually. 
quite well. Because yeah. I can sort of see that toad as I'm talking, um, and the underground, and feel the kind of the claustrophobia of that set. I, I gather, I think I read somewhere that was going to be a huge wide set, and they thought, no, she, she wants, she needs to be really hemmed in. Um, but it was, it's it's a good moment, and uh, again, Ophelia's acting, um, or Ivana uh, uh, Bacero's acting here. It's, 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 you're with her. She's she's one of those. I mean, she's a child actor. You don't have a huge uh, place in your heart for a lot of child actors <laughs> generally. Mm. How did you feel about um, Ophelia? I think it worked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it probably helped that, as we said, she had done a few roles before. Yeah. Um, she was she wasn't she wasn't doing this for the first time. Um, yeah, I mean, it did seem. Perhaps a bit heavy-handed that you know she she's been told you've got to be in the good in the new gorgeous dress and she gets utterly filthy. Yes, yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. Again, it know. was a sort of a fairy tale thing, and, yeah. and that was very. I'm sure it was deliberate. The, the very Alice in Wonderland appearance to that dress mm. um, was a callback, I suspect, to it. Um, and then we have the, I, I guess, the scene that um, or, or the creature that everyone remembers from Pan's Labyrinth is the, the banquet scene uh, where she has to uh, creep through and not eat anything and then mm. there's this incredible being with its um, hands on its eyes uh, its eyes on its hands um, that can only sort of see when it's holding its hands up on top of its face That I mean that was um, that will stay with me so I, I didn't find it particularly scary but I certainly found it um memorable and tense and dramatic that scene the thing that was more effective for me there was the um the decoration you know, the, yes. the murals uh is uh, the pile of shoes that yeah kind of now i wondered if that was in you know this is in the era of the holocaust and we've seen piles of shoes in a few other films that we've watched and i wondered if that was a sort of deliberate nod to that sort of era hmm but yeah, it was uh, the one thing I think maybe that either I hadn't quite followed. I don't think it was quite uh, well enough signposted quite how hungry she was that she was under yeah. pressure as well. And I, because otherwise, why would you? I, I just uh, I particularly I, this is a kid who reads fairy stories. You should understand that this is the thing. You know, when you get the arbitrary rule, you follow the arbitrary rule. Exactly, it's it's bonkers, but do it because otherwise, what will happen will happen. What what happened will happen. So I think maybe it could have played up a bit more that maybe he'd said no food for you for two days or something like mm. that. Because he uh, and I don't I don't recall it doing that. I didn't particularly notice that. I knew they were under rations, but I assumed she was eating well because you know she's the, the the captain's stepdaughter. Yeah, but that so. I, I, it wasn't quite clear to me why she went for the grapes. Um, I mean, they look tasty, but um, I suppose I yeah, so, something I to establish that would would have would have worked better. I think. I think so because otherwise you just it, it's doing that thing of why are you doing that? <laughs> why would you do that sort of thing? Hmm. Um, but otherwise, a very effective, creepy, creepy scene. I mean, uh, for that kind of. He's got real uh, visual flair, Del Toro. I mean, this it was just. Um, mm. uh, there, there are very... lots of bits. I mean, the 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 bits where um, the stick insect praying mantis, whatever it is, 
yes. turns up and she shows it the picture of the fairy and it turns into the picture of the fairy because that's clearly how to get to her. It's beautiful, He's wasn't it? Both beautifully done and effectively creepy because we can realise, no, this is not, yeah, this is not, he's revealing his true form. This is, he's yeah. thinking, aha, I've got a lever now. Yeah, this is the way I get, yeah, exactly. It was, um, yeah, I, that, again, it all ties into that kind of dark, um, kind of Mythago Wood kind of style of fantasy that I, I really respect. It's a bit, I mean, I, I, I really love the kind of British, uh, you know, British fantasy, like Alan Garner kind of style fantasy. And it, 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 it had a different flavour of that than that but it, it it really has that darkness at the core of it that i i really responded well to and and that was a great example of it the way you know they could have done that in a really um cheesy morphy way um mm. and just made it go and turn into uh the fair but it just they did it so cleverly that it just sort of turned and you, you can't quite see the transition but uh, yeah it was very good and as you say all the creepier for it they it basically thinking oh right okay this I, I can manipulate it better in this form the other one that struck me i mean we've seen it done a lot i think but it, it worked for me here was the self-inking book yes yes i, I mean agree. not an original effect even in 2006 but very well handled it makes sense in the in its context. I mean, the CGI here, I think, was really top quality. I mean, I would say for the time, but I mean, in the sense that it did exactly what it needed to do, and it didn't feel gratuitous. Um, I, I was, was never dragged shot. away from it. I mean, no, we've both seen a lot of CG work, and yes. I could look at it and say, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did that with computers, but I, there was never a shot where I found myself thinking, oh, that looks a bit rubbish. Yes, and it, oh, it uh, a la um, uh, Mary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh God, I've brought my way back to the Jekyll and Hyde. Um, oh dear me. Um, yes, nothing like that. Though it is a few years later. Um, mm. And then we have, uh, I, I guess, really, we have the the final, the final scene um, where she's murdered by Vidal. Um, uh, she takes her brother, and it's clear that he wants her brother, uh, that the fawn wants her brother for his blood, and she really doesn't trust him enough to to believe him when he says he just wants a few drops of blood. Uh, and then we have this sort of... This is where the ambiguity of the film... Well, this is where, where I'd like to talk about it. I mean, mm. the film... Well, the, the, there's there's a separate thing here. Even taking it at face value... Uh, it doesn't quite work because, well, sh- shall we just say in terms of what's happening, she, you know, she, yes. she refuses to, to, she, she's saying essentially, well, no, if, if what you want to, is, is to damage my brother, I'm not going to let you do that, even if it does mean yes. I have to give everything up. Yes. And then, uh, Vidal gets up and gets up out of the labyrinth and, and confronts her and ends up killing her. Yes. And her, so what, the the nominal narrative is that her blood then drips down into the underworld and she is taken into the underworld and the king says basically you off, you offered your blood in pro, in place of your brothers and that was the right thing to do congratulations yeah well done that was the final test but that's not a choice she makes she's not even conscious when her arm falls out and drips the blood no exactly so, she didn't offer her blood she... so while it is a very fairy tale sort of thing if she could say you know i am also an innocent take my take my take... blood instead she doesn't Instead, you just sort of realise, as she's lying on the floor, oh, she's an innocent too, but she has no part in that. She'd rather not be lying on the floor dripping blood onto the labyrinth. Mm. Um, 
so yes on on that level it doesn't quite work um it um I, I mean, the other reading of this film, which doesn't quite work either, I, and that's why I feel that, the, unfortunately, ultimately, it tries to sort of have its cake and eat it, because it almost goes out of its way to make it ambiguous. Um, mm. Like, no one else can see it. Like, Vidal can't see the fawn. No, uh, he can see the mandrake route. He can see the mandrake route, but he can't see it move. And so uh, she could have gone out and picked that, but we see it being given to her but that, hmm. that's where it tries to have its cake and eat it a bit because also um y- you know her final dying moments you could certainly interpret that as well that's just her brain she's know, been fantasizing all along and she fantasizes yeah. herself a happy ending yeah which i think would i if that was completely ambiguous um i i think that would work really well for me but there are moments like the mandrake route like the fact that she genuinely does as far as i can tell draw a door on the wall and step through it because otherwise how does she get into the captain's room mm. uh, the, the the loss of ambiguity there even though it's trying to play it ambiguous the whole time uh, it does lose a bit for me and it spoils it a bit because it's basically saying yes this is genuinely true um, I'm going to take a slightly contrarian position here I, th- I think there is a strand of I can't say film criticism exactly, but response to film, which yes. lock, likes to lock onto ambiguity and say, oh, wow, man, it's really deep. This is good yes, because it is ambiguous. Well, uh, I mean, that's <laughs> we did talk at some length um, uh, on um, uh, Mulholland Drive about what quite what we thought about. Uh, and I think at least some, I mean, this, this had a hugely positive reaction. Um, yes. I, it, 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 I mean, it wasn't the top of the year or anything, but it made a lot of money, and for it, particularly yes. for a subtitled film, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, but I think that a lot of the positive reaction is because of that ambiguity. Uh, for me, I don't think it need to be, needed to be played that hard, but you know, well, that, I, I didn't hate I, it I, either. So. No, I mean, I like the ambiguity. Um, I, I just rather it was. Because ultimately, I'd already decided, well, this is actually happening because she she clearly made that door. Mm. Um, and or much as uh, much as I'm, you know, I'm saying I'd rather it was ambiguous or I'd rather it was more clear. Um, I, I'd rather it was one or the other. Instead, I mean, what we get here is sort of ambiguity with a few clues that it's real. Mm. That's how I feel it is. Um, that said, and although that didn't quite work for me, it certainly made the ending a bit easier to bear, um, <laughs> I think. And it made me feel happier that probably that's what had happened, with a bit of doubt. Did it really, though? So maybe that's mm. exactly the, what he was aiming for. It certainly made it... Because otherwise it's a pretty depressing story. I think one of the things that, I really like about this is that it's a fairy tale with a child protagonist, but it doesn't talk down to children. No. Um, and the, it, it, rating it, it got was was basically an adults only rating anyway. But yes. a, a smart child could, I think, a smart child would appreciate this much more than they would appreciate a, a thing that was trying to, you know, oh well, children are sweet and innocent, and we can't spoil that. No, that's well, that's not I mean, what fairy stories always, are. Always understood that you know you need <laughs> there's some horror in fairy stories. In fact, a lot of them are. And uh, yeah, that, I don't, it was the Victorians that homogenised them all, wasn't it? But they uh, yeah. I think uh, it reminded me a bit that. of uh, Diana Wynne Jones, who would similarly have child protagonists doing amazing and fantastic things. Yeah, though 
and th- this is p- really my one major gripe, and it's not an entirely fair gripe. Um, Diana would always make sure that the the stories crossed over thoroughly. You know, if yeah. there's a bad situation in the outside world, then the stuff you do it in the in fantasy land has an effect on it, and vice versa. You know, the, the things map across to each other, uh, and they get tangled. Whereas this, I did feel they were just a bit too separate. Yes, I think we we both kind of circling around the same point in a way that it in order to I don't know if it was deliberate but sort of in order to have this ambiguity that means yeah that there really isn't a lot of crossover in mm. the two worlds I mean we have we have the mandrake we have the book but no one else ever saw her with the book as far as I could tell so yeah. she could have just imagined that um and the problem with that yes is exactly what you say it means basically what we've got are one set of protagonists having their Spanish Civil War story and Ophelia having her own personal story with some crossover but really not very much Mm. Um, and I agree I think we've said a lot of good things about Pan's Labyrinth I think we both it's quite clear we both liked it a lot yes Um, but yeah I think that is ultimately my problem too and it stems or it it seems to me it stems from this ambiguity um in that they just don't really and you don't really know that until the film's finished um Mm. they come together right at the end but even then they don't really touch each other very much i mean the fawn's already gone by the time vidal turns up oh that was the other clue of course when he's running down the passage and she just disappears into the wall Mm. and that's just not I suppose she could have hidden very well, but it's it, it, the reading of that is that actually happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. We basically had two very separate stories, and much as I enjoyed the Spanish Civil War story, the fantastical story was so well done. And uh, you know, fairy story is a, a term that tends to put us off a bit, I guess, because of the way fairy stories have been changed. But this is how fairy stories used to be and the darkness and the imagination I would have liked to see a bit more of it it made me think of Dark City a little bit and mm. some of it um, and I think I would and have liked one, one of the things I liked it about it perhaps because of the original conception of the protagonist as a younger girl is that it's yeah. not made about you know sex and puberty and heavy symbolism <laughs> in that regard there are people who can, who read that into it and you can if you want to but I don't think it's I don't think that's necessarily the case no I didn't I didn't um it certainly didn't cross my mind. I suppose if you try hard enough, you could read any of that in. But yes, it's not like um, Company of Wolves or that sort of stuff that's really trying to tie it into dark sexuality. It was just a a dark fairy tale. Mm. Uh, it, feel, it also reminded me a little bit of um, The Sandman. Um, it, it has mm. that kind of Neil Gaiman stuff. Uh, I, again, I, I I sort of prefer this to... Well, I, I feel like I'm always a bit harsher on Neil Gaiman than I should be. I, I do like his stuff. I just... Perhaps it gets a bit... I think I overdid it reading all the <laughs> Sam Men at once. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the, the fantasy world here, and I, I would have liked to see more of it. I suppose maybe those sequences are what shot the budget up as well, so that might mm. have been part of it. Yeah, I but I agree. That would be my problem too, that the... the two stories i enjoyed both of them very much they didn't quite dovetail together in as satisfying a way as i would hope they would and that's kind of uh uh not giving i i don't think it was terrible and i enjoyed it all the way along but i was hoping it would come together 
better than it did, I suppose, or expecting it to, because I sort of trusted the film, really. Yeah. Um, that said, I, I I think I was overall satisfied with the ending, so, you know, fair yes, enough. Yeah, it was, it was. I mean, certainly I enjoyed it a lot more than a lot of other films we've watched. Um, so, well, is there anything else you... Okay, a couple of things, I mean... Okay, the, these are, I, I will readily admit, very minor gripes. Um, yes. I have seen babies. I have seen <laughs> quite small babies. They, they are not rigid. You know, if, if, if you pick it up by the body, the head goes flump. They are very definitely not rigid. That's absolutely true. Yes, yeah. That is a big problem with babies, in fact. Um, all right. I, I liked the foreground wipes for changing scene. Uh, particularly uh, between Ophelia and something else, but I did think the baby in the womb cam was just crass. Uh, yeah, I think that is a... Well, I sort of segued into a different part of the story, so it was... but I agree. It's a... Yeah, all right, yeah, fair point. I'll give you that. Um, okay, th- this one is really nitpicky, and I actually kind of like it. Um, <laughs> the... So, the, the captain has a pistol. Uh, there are various points, particularly out of doors, where he's shooting it. Yes. It is recognisably a Luger P08, uh, yes. which is an entirely reasonable pistol for him to have. I mean, everybody used them, um, if, they, if they're even vaguely aligned with Germany. Um, it has a distinctive operating mechanism, the toggle lock. Um yeah. Basically, each time you fire it, when it cycles, it doesn't just run the slide back, as with a normal automatic pistol. Um, it, it actually um, breaks upwards and then snaps down again to produce yes, the I've exactly seen that happen in other films. Yeah, yeah and it, it doesn't do that. But I found out why. They had you know, no, normally you, you'd, you'd with a thing like that you'd be firing blanks, uh, and that would operate the mechanism normally. But they had a complete ban on any pyrotechnics in the forest where they were shooting. Oh, I see. So they couldn't even have blanks. Oh, yeah. Okay. And obviously, in the big attack scene, that's that's composited on you know the flames and stuff yes. from further out. But yeah, because it it found me that interesting story. I I I, I will admit I forgive that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> this that's has been Roger's enough. Guns Corner. That moment probably wasn't worth burning a forest down for. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. So yes, that's good. Okay. Uh, the, the thing the thing I really like about this as a theme, and it, it's only one of many possible themes you can read in this, but it's one that struck me. Is that uh, we, you've, you've got that thing uh, that the doctor says? You know, I, I, I cannot just obey without thinking about it. That's that's what people like you do. That's what people like you, yeah. And it does seem to me that Ophelia, in the end, has to disobey everyone. She has to disobey her mother, the captain, the fawn. Yeah, yeah. She has to do that in order to be doing the right thing, and she is doing the right thing. And yeah, and you're with her every time. You totally understand. Yeah, yeah, that is a nice. Uh, whereas the man who obeys orders um, is shown to be uh, well, <laughs> is Vidal. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice. And uh, even at the most charitable, he's in the shadow of his more famous father. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, that was a really nice um, send off for him as well. I thought. Where, mm. um, uh, he won't even know your name, which is a pretty good finishing line. <laughs> it's certainly well deserved. Um, so, uh, was it a masterpiece for you, Roger? When I watched it, my immediate thought was very nearly. Yeah. Um, but now I'm thinking, yeah, I can probably live with that, with the things that didn't quite work. And I, I will say, yeah, probably yes. 
Well, it's a close one, isn't it? Because mm. uh, what was what was the last film we talked about? Where it was? Um, uh, 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 well, Children of Men. T- um, Children of Men tiptoed over the line for me, and, um, and that's actually that's actually our connection because Alfonso Cuarón uh, was was one of the producers on this. Oh, yes, yes, they are again another um, Mexican director, I believe. Um, yeah, uh, and, uh, and they're certainly friends as well. So. I think for me, I probably, uh, I mean, I was hoping I'd like Pan's Labyrinth, but I, I, I had in my head it was just a horror story. So I was pleasantly surprised, not that I don't like horror stories, but I was pleasantly surprised by the kind of, the the warmth of it as well. Um, I think it had flaws, but I think visually alone, uh, it probably makes a masterpiece for me, because it's mm. just... It just those images that he created, uh, by he, I mean Benicio del Toro, and, uh, uh, sorry, not Benicio del Toro, Guillermo del Toro, um, uh, and, uh, you know, along with his special effects. Yeah, Guillermo Navarro is, is the uh, director of photography. Yeah, so amongst that, whoever was responsible, but I, uh, I, visually it was, it was very impressive. And as a story, yeah, it worked very well. As a purely as a story, and without the two strands meeting, it probably didn't. It wouldn't be enough for me to be a masterpiece. I don't don't think that's enough. But I think because I did care about the characters, I was interested, and then visually it was so stunning. Mm. I think it does make it. But it but it has got flaws in the in the narrative, or at least for me. I mean, who might say? But uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, uh, and I. Probably lesser. I felt Children of Men was more flawed in the narrative. Um, I, I just the action scenes were so stunning um, that I was blown away by it. And here, I I don't. I think this is a slightly flawed masterpiece, but not as flawed as Children of Men. I don't want to start, <laughs> I don't want to start grading them. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is a masterpiece and probably was influential. I think certainly visually. I think so. Um, I mean. To me, well, before this, because uh, I'm, I'm a reader, uh, the, the idea of let us try to reclaim fairy tales for their original dark and scariness rather than their cutesiness was, was very well established by this point. I don't know how well established it was on film. I, I you, you get, you get things like before. Labyrinth and uh, so on, but, it, but uh, there was a lot of cutesy fantasy as well. Other stuff like, I suppose it had a similar sort of vibe to Excalibur even, you know, just trying to reclaim the darkness of the, the roots of these myths. Um, I mean, that, uh, what I also was very impressed with is, yeah, here it had its own kind of mythology, uh, but it hmm. felt it felt old and it felt, uh, yeah, I, it was very impressive, yeah. So this won three Academy Awards, uh, okay. art, art Direction, Cinematography and Makeup. I, okay. I would have been. Ophelia didn't win anything, did she? Then uh, no. Bacaro. Um, oh. and yeah, it, it was nominated for original screenplay and uh, foreign language film. Okay, so what won those? Uh, see, original screenplay was Little Miss Sunshine, and oh, foreign yeah. language film was The Lives of Others. The uh, East German surveillance oh, film. Now I so. can't begrudge the lives of others. <laughs> we should we should watch that at some point. That's a yeah. very good film. Yeah, all right, fair enough. I'll give you that. Uh, very, I, very, I would have been tempted unfair. to put it up for sound design, to be honest. But I, I, yeah. never, I never know which is sound mixing and which is sound editing, as far as the awards are concerned. But I, I would have put it in for at least whichever one of those it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I it's certainly, yeah. Maybe it was a bit heavy for me, but yeah, fair enough. Um, there was going to be a sequel. 
Really? Uh, the, the plot has never been revealed. Uh, it was going to be set in the Spanish Civil War, post-Spanish Civil War. Um, and it was going to be titled 3993. But, okay. um, mm, but Del Toro much. decided that he, he was going to make Hellboy 2 the Golden Army instead. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm kind of glad it didn't get a sequel, though I can see that working really well, depending on how you did it. Um, mm. uh, I, I mean, ideally for me, it wouldn't have Ophelia in it and be a completely different story, but. Yeah. But then, uh, I'm, I'm sure it could be done. Uh, this well. did, I, th- I think this did win the, win the Hugo for long form dramatic presentation. Okay. So. Yes, I, I think we both, perhaps it was a bit fantasy light, uh, not light, but just not enough of it for me, but that's, uh, that's fair enough. Mm, I, I do like this sort of fantasy that is rooted in the real world rather yeah. than, oh, well, you know, here is this fantasy world and you don't know how anything works. This is my dislike of Lovecraft's Dreamlands, is that they, it, it doesn't feel rooted in the real world and doesn't, uh, it doesn't feel to make a lot of, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Here, it was dangerous and gritty and fantastical, but not sweet and not, it, it had a sense to it and an earthiness to it, um, mm. that I, do, I don't find with the Dreamlands. I find them very irritating. Yeah, so, not perfect. I, I'm not sure we've ever actually seen a perfect film, to be fair. No. Uh, except Aliens, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, a very impressive film, uh, a film that I did not mind being two hours long, which is always a good sign. Yes, that is, yeah, that's true. It wasn't two hours, only just two hours. It wasn't much more than that, was it? Yeah. Was it two hours? Yeah. Just yeah, two, uh, hours, yeah. two hours, two minutes, something like that, I think, in the version I yeah. saw. Well, that's alright. I can go with two hours, just don't need. Well, some of the some of our films have been way longer, and we haven't minded. But if it's a film you don't like, wow, that's really a long time. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, um, we shall leave it there for this episode of Ribbon of Beams. I think. And proceed to two thousand and seven. <gasps> the mystery. Ah, God's already saved their souls. What happens to their bodies hardly matters to him. <laughs> you won't be the first pig I've gutted. <laughs> Sorry, I had to respond. Um, there we go. Good uh, evening. Thank you. Very much.